the beer that's got a taste that's number one. When you say fun, you tell the world you know what makes it all the way. When you say fun, you say you care enough to only want the king of beers. There is no other one. There's only something less because the king of beers is leading all the rest. When you say fun. Another public service announcement from Real Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Whoa! Hello, Come on in, have a seat. Make yourself the home. I'm a dumb white guy. I'm not old or new, but middle school, fifth grade, like junior high. I don't know more. Yeah, right. Kind of like a Han Solo. I'm in my hope because she fly, but I can't the other white meat. Because I'm the other white meat known as Kid Hey, come on in, make yourself to home, have a seat, put your feet up, put your head back. You do have head back permission for the duration of the show, that's right. For the next 120 minutes. You can call my cookie. The roof, the roof. Alright, come on. Spark it up with me. Motherfucker. Alright. That'll do, pig. Hey, good evening and welcome to the shoe. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, April the 14th, the year of our Lord 2004. Uh, what? And me? Moi? I? Well, just your humble host, your faithful servant, the jester, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. Such a show, as Grandma Jester would say, featuring this evening uh, Smokey Robinson, Rick Springfield, The Zombies, The Spokesman, Barry McGuire, Dylan, Ralph McTell, Jim Croce, Ray Charles, so much more. Plus, we got the request line open at 646-502-8600. You might want to jot that down because that's also good for getting yourself on the air in case you got something to say. Um, and you may want to make a note of it also because... Um, usually there's a pretty good chance that something I'm going to say during the course of the evening is going to piss you off. 
So that's the number you're going to want to dial, 646-502-8600. Fear not. It's not uh, one of those uh, Bermuda porno numbers or anything. It's a regular downtown New York City uh, telephone line, and if you call on your cell phone, it's probably free this evening. 646-502-8600. Also hanging in the Jester Radio chat room, just waiting for you at www.jesterradio.com. Why not stop by? And say hi. Uh, what else? Uh, we're going to take a look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours. And I'll let you know what's going on in that sick fucking world of mine. We were going to do a show last night, but Bob the Engineer came in with a bag of shrooms. And that was pretty much it for the night. So it was just uh, barely enough to get the fucking playlist going. But it was nice, and it was mild, and it was mellow, and I, and I showed some, um, you know, discipline. Uh, didn't just schlang down, you know, every cap and stem in sight. You know, I just took a little partition, what looked like, you know, enough. And, and then, like, uh, 45 minutes later, I was, um, you know, tripping my balls off, and then I just schlanged down the rest. <laughs> because, you know, at higher doses... Uh, mushrooms, you get all kinds of uh, wacky effects. And that's what you're looking for. Um, and uh, so, as a result, you know, my evening was, <laughs> was fine. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, but, uh, you know, another bad day today. Not sure what's up with that. Um, you know, I had thought that I started doing this whole Zen thing and I was going to you know, not like get pissed at everybody and not, you know, but, um, you know, some days I just wake up with uh, what uh, Jerry Seinfeld used to call that salty discharge, just uh, water pouring out of my eyes, you know, not really sure what's up with that. So I went to go see the shrink today and we talked to him, you know, for like an hour about fucking nothing. Uh, I honestly don't know what a person can expect to get done, you know, in a, in a time like that. Um, you know, maybe three, four hours a day, maybe three, four days a week, you know, you could accomplish something. But uh, I'm in a hurry. I've been doing this, you know, since um, I was, you know, I've been in therapy since I was five years old. So I haven't got much, I haven't got much strength left for that. But I recovered. I took a little nappy this afternoon. And um, woke up, slang down a you know a lovely uh, cup of tea, and uh, had myself a, a, a lovely bowl of uh, the green, and uh, so I'm doing much better. Hope you are too. Uh, time to turn our attention to the headlines now from High Atop Jest Radio Studios, in a secret location outside your universe. Liberty, liberty, liberty. Delta Airlines and Northwest Airlines squeezed by record high fuel prices and slowing economy are combining in a stock swap deal that would create the world's biggest carrier. The boards of both companies gave the deal the go-ahead today. Delta said the combined airline, which will be called Delta, <laughs> that will have an enterprise value of $17.7 billion. It'll be based in Atlanta. And Delta CEO Richard Anderson will head the combined company. You know, this is a classic example of what happens when um, we don't allow foreign competition. People are always whining about outsourcing. 
uh, as if, you know, Americans, nobody's getting any work because it's all the fucking work of going to Bangladesh and shit. But um, in the airline industry, it's uh, very protectionist. And um, the international airlines are forbidden from flying local routes. So that's why you could only get a flight, you know, from New York to Miami from a American airline. There's no competition. If we allowed Air France to, uh, you know, fly or LL to fly from uh, New York to Miami, which believe me, they would, well, they would especially LL, um, then there'd be a little fucking competition, man. Those guys know what they're doing. I mean, if you've flown in Europe lately, it's just a whole different world than it is from the United States. Under the terms of the transaction, Northwest shareholders will receive 1.25 Delta shares for each Northwest share they own. The exchange ratio represents a premium to Northwest shareholders of 16.8% based on uh, this evening's closing stock prices. Delta Chairman Daniel Karp uh, will become the chairman of the new board of directors, and Northwest Chairman Roy Bostock will become the vice chairman. Uh, Delta President and Chief Financial Officer Ed Bastian will retain his titles. The new board will be made up of 13 members, seven of whom will, will come from Delta's board, including this uh, Anderson guy, five of whom are going to come from Northwest's board, including uh, the Bostock and Doug Steenland, the current Northwest CEO. One director will come from the Airline Pilots Association, the union that represents pilots from both carriers. So we're talking about a lot of wacky, uh, you know, one hand washing the other back room smoke filled room deals here Northwest didn't consult the union that represents the baggage handlers or the ramp workers and the ticket agents according to a spokesman for the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers if the airline wanted the support of their employees they should have brought us in and discussed it with us earlier uh, said this uh, spokesman so uh, you'll always have this situation where the employees of a company, um, you know, get this feeling like they're getting gypped and they need to organize and constantly fucking whine about how their employer is not doing enough for them. Uh, Lee Moak, head of Delta's pilots union, said Delta hopes cooler heads will prevail. It takes two to fight. Moak told Jester Radio, we don't see a fight here. We see a cooperative relationship with the Northwest pilots to bring everybody to parity as soon as possible. The two pilots unions were unable to agree on integrating seniority lists before the combination was announced. A joint contract they had reached was never consummated. It's always about the fucking jobs and the seniority and the rank and the points. and It's just more of this sort of entitlement um society that we live in um, where everybody just sort of feels like um, they needs to get paid uh, even if it means at the expense of somebody else Texas officials who took 416 children away from a polygamous retreat into state custody sent many of their mothers away today as a judge and lawyer uh, that struggled with uh, legal and logistical morass in one of the biggest child custody cases in U.S. history, one of the, um, of the 139 women who voluntarily left the compound with their children since the uh, April 3rd raid, only those with children four or younger were allowed to continue staying with them, according to Marissa Gonzalez, spokeswoman for the State Protective uh, Children's Protective Services. 
She did not know how many women stayed. It's not the normal practice to allow parents to accompany the child when an abuse allegation is made, she said. The women were given a choice, return to the El Dorado Ranch of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a renegade Mormon sect, or go to another safe location. Some women chose the latter. The state is accusing the sect of physically and sexually abusing the youngsters and wants to strip their parents of custody and place them in foster care, put them up for adoption. The sheer size of the case, of course, is an obstacle. Quite frankly, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Texas District Judge Barbara Walters said after a conference that included three to four dozen attorneys either representing or hoping to represent the kids, the mothers were taken away uh, today after uh, they and the kids were taken by bus under heavy security out of historic Fort Concho, where they'd been staying to the San Angelo Coliseum. Uh, which holds about 5,000 people, and it's used for hockey games and rodeos and concerts. The polygamist retreats about 45 miles south of uh, San Angelo. Some of the youngsters' mothers complained to Governor Rick Perry that the children were getting sick in the crowded fort. About 20 had mild cases of uh, chicken pox. Uh, Perry spokesman Robert Black said the governor did not believe the children were being housed in poor conditions. Uh, let's be honest here, he said, this is not the Ritz. <laughs> Uh, but he called the accommodations clean and neat. So, yeah, they were um, they were raping the children. You know, they um, the second they turned uh, pubescent, they would hurry them into the church. Uh, as soon as they saw like a little you know hair pop out, or if the like you know the breast started to like get a little puffy, they would run them up to the church, find some filthy fucking geezer to marry him off to, and then the guy would actually take the poor kid up to the attic at that same moment, because he couldn't, you know, wait to get home down the block, and he'd rape the poor kid upstairs on some filthy fucking common, you know, rape bed. Iraq's financial free ride may be over after five years. Republicans and Democrats seem to have found common ground on at least one aspect of the war, from the fiercest foes of the war to the most steadfast Bush supporters they're looking at Iraq's surging oil income and saying Baghdad should start picking up more of the tab, particularly for rebuilding hospitals, roads, power lines, and the rest of the shattered country. This is something the Iraqis need to learn how to do. Um, for many years, of course, the Iraqi people lived like church mice while their leaders lived like kings and princes on the oil income. Um, you know, years ago, they... Um, stole all the oil processing plants from the Americans that were built there in the 50s, you know, nationalized them and threw out, you know, Sunoco and Exxon and stole billions of dollars worth of oil refineries in the name of the people. We're very poor, they said, and we need to say keep all this money for our people. Thanks for coming in and teaching us how to turn this uh, black muck that we've just been fucking, you know, staring at for 2,000 years into something valuable, but get the fuck out now. And um, when they did, they took all the money and the people were still poor. Go figure. I think the American people are growing weary, not only of the war, but they're looking at why Baghdad can't pay more of these costs. The answer is they can said uh, Senator Ben Nelson of Nebraska. But again, the mentality there is to, when the oil money comes in, you know, it's like booty from a robbery. You just, um, you keep it stuffed in the mattress. You don't share it with the people. You don't use it to build hospitals. 
You use it to wipe your ass with $100 bills. Nelson, a Democrat, is drafting legislation with Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine and Democrat Yvonne Bay of Indiana uh, that would restrict future reconstruction dollars to loans instead of grants. Their bill would also require that Baghdad pay for the fuel used by American troops and take over U.S. payments to predominantly Sunni fighters in the awakening movement. Plans are uh, to propose the legislation as part of a war bill to cover spending through September. Likewise, Senator Carl Levin, chairman of the Armed Services Committee, said he wants to add a provision to a defense policy bill that will force the Iraqi government to spend its own surplus in oil revenues to rebuild the country before U.S. dollars are spent. These senators, well-known war skeptics, could find allies and lawmakers who support Bush's current Iraq politics. In hearings last week, Joseph Lieberman asked Defense Secretary Robert Gates whether Baghdad should start paying some U.S. combat costs. Um, Lindsey Graham raised the possibility that an anticipated Iraqi budget surplus this year could be used to help Afghanistan, whose $700 million in annual revenue represents a small fraction of Iraq's $46.8 billion budget. Bush has suggested that Congress is preaching to the choir. Last week, he noted that Baghdad's latest budget uh, would outspend the U.S. by more than 10 to 1 in Iraq reconstruction, with American funding for large-scale projects appearing uh, to approach zero. Ultimately, we expect Iraq to shoulder the full burden on these costs, he said. But lawmakers are dubious, considering the past predictions on Iraq have fallen short, to say the least. Legislation would ensure Iraq assumes more of the financial burden. So just Bush saying it, unfortunately, is no longer enough because he's a proven liar. He's a bullshit artist. He has absolutely no qualms looking right into the camera and saying, we're winning. Uh, this is just about you know getting the Iraqi people back on their feet while he's secretly building the largest uh, U.S. military base in the world for a thousand-year stay. Um, so... Uh, you know, obviously, even people um, in the same party that, you know, even people that are Republicans are, uh, you know, dubious of his bullshit. He's a pathological liar. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this Monday, April the 14th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And as uh, long as I remember, the rain's been pouring down. Clouds of mystery falling and confusion on the ground. Good men through the ages trying to find the sun, and I wonder, still, I wonder, who'll stop the rain. Please don't fuck with that doll. You tune into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe.
Uh, there's a pair from CCR on Jester Radio. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, April the 14th. Hanging in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by and say hi at www.jesterradio.com. And click on chat and follow the simple instructions from there. Uh, also, 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with your old pal. Send your request to requests at jesterradio.com. We'll get them on the air ASAP. And, you know, this fucking Obama, man, he's starting to piss me off. You know, at first I was sort of, um, you know, reluctant to write him off because so many fucking people like him. But, um, you know, he started doing commercials, uh, TV commercials and Hillary TV commercials I started seeing. And, you know, people say no matter what your candidates do, you're still you're going to like the shit that, you know, the people you like and you're going to dislike but Hillary's been doing these commercials where she looks right in your face and she says, you know, a lot of you people in this state have a lot of questions and we want to get to them. And Beatrice writes, uh, what about health care? You know, and sort of like um, a very conversational um, Barack is still doing this, like prancing around, waving his hands in the air, uh, doing snappy sayings, you know, like... Uh, I don't even know. Like, if it doesn't, if the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. No, no. What he's doing? Oh yeah, these uh, from Main Street to Wall Street. He's sort of doing like his um, Martin Luther King, uh, and it's like very preachy. And even in his commercials, he doesn't see you don't see him talking, you know, to your face. You see him with a bunch of people standing around, enwrapped, looking up at him, and he's like spinning these. Uh, colloquialisms and it's annoying because nowhere in there do I get a, an idea of what precisely his fucking plans are about Iraq and about uh, you know um, uh, illegal immigration and the economy and you know the shit that I care about the shit that you care about uh, after days on the campaign defensive Democrat Barack Obama accused rival Hillary Clinton today of leveling criticism straight from the Republican playbook and said, even so, he will win the White House over John McCain and an out-of-touch GOP. So he made some stupid fucking statements the other day. Of course, the Clinton campaign jumped on it like white on rice. And now he's calling their jumping on his statement uh, a play, you know, from out of the GOP playbook, which is a great way of obfuscating what it was he said i may have made a mistake last week in the words that i chose but the other party has made a much more damaging mistake in the failed policies they've chosen and the bankrupt philosophy that they've embraced for the last three decades again a lot of hyperbole no you know not a lot of um detail on what it was what we could expect uh from him i'd like to hear you know this is my resume this is the shit that i did in whatever buttfuck uh, illinois state you know that i'm the senator of, I don't even really sure where he's from. Uh, and this is what I would do in the U.S., you know, with the um, executive office that's uh, similar. Really not interested in hearing these uh, retards uh, go on and off about each other. Uh, Obama spoke at the uh, AP annual meeting a few hours after McCain made his less combative appearance of his own. The Arizona senator announced support for legislation to protect the confidentiality of news sources. Although he also challenged the news media to acknowledge its errors, 
beyond the small print on corrections page, as if. Um, yeah, you know, this um, comment that Obama made, I may have made a mistake last week in the words that I choose, but the other party has made a much more damaging mistake, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, first of all, any sentence with a but in it, you know, you could just uh, disregard what came before that. Um, anything after but is bullshit. All right, where do we go here? You there? Hey. Hey. What up, bud? What's going on, man? Hey, I got a question for you. This is uh, S. Poe uh, on the phone. How you doing? I'm all right. I was just wondering if you ever been to the Barack Obama website. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure this is in response to my comment uh, that I don't know what he stands for, uh, um, and I don't know what his policies are, but... Yeah, of course, I've been to his website. Um, I do read, uh, in fact, I do every day read what it is that everybody is saying that they'll do. Um, but they had, they do get 30 or 60 seconds on a TV commercial, and what they choose to present to that vast majority of people that don't go to the website is what I was talking about. So um, the, I, I think that... Uh, uh, he he wants to present himself as sort of the, a great orator of men and a great leader in the in the vein of like civil rights leaders, and he talks so a lot. You have, but why are you against that? Because um, he has no business doing that. The executive office is an austere position. It's not a place for bullshit rhetoric. That's what we heard from Bush the past eight years. I just, you know, yeah, imagine, I mean, imagine he's the pre- politician that really isn't going to give you that trying to run for president. Imagine he was running for president of your company instead of your country. Would you want somebody coming in blustercating about, uh, you know, uh, the from Main Street to Wall Street and this? Well, I mean, if, if the guy, if that's what gets the guy the head of a company, then that's what he has to do. The means justifies the ends. Well, I don't know how else. I mean, Kucinich, I want to get in. He doesn't do any of the right campaigning stuff to ever get in. Why do you want him in? Kucinich. Oh, I see. But why would you want Obama in? I'm not saying I want Obama in. I'm saying that this is what these people do to get elected, and there's no... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I take great offense to that comment. There's no way around it. Just don't fucking tolerate it. Just keep talking about how bullshit it is. Uh, I can't believe I'm fucking hearing these words out of your mouth. That this. I'm just saying. I mean, I want Kucinich in. How am I going to get Kucinich in? What am I going to do to get this guy to be elected? Well, the same thing anybody the same thing that anybody does to get their guy elected go around talking to people be an evangelist for the guy uh, it doesn't seem to work in this country well you know just because something is not working uh, meaning it's not bringing the intended results doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do so um, well, so um, by that same token if I want Nader to be president and he's on the ballot you would suggest that I vote for him? Never. See that? So He's an imbecile. Right, but if I want to vote for him and I want to use the system as, as doing what's right, then you would suggest that I vote for Nader. I would suggest that you and I and people of good conscience spend our time talking about the way it should be. I, th- I believe you said those very words to me last week. 
and not accept uh, that this is the way it is and this is what people have to do in order to get into the office to do the good things. It seems astounding to me that you, of all people, should know that if you compromise your ethic to get what you want, then once you get it, that doesn't you're not going to go back to being an ethical yeah. person. It doesn't work right, that right. way. But name one president that ever got elected doing all the ethical right things. Oh, Jimmy Carter. Well, he just happened to have the right timing. He did have excellent timing, and he was the most probably the most ethical president of my lifetime. So I, d- I definitely think he it's... He could get elected today. No, he couldn't. He, ca- he can't even yeah. get into Israel today. Right, so, I mean, it's a, you're, I can't figure out whether you're against Obama because he's making himself electable or just you don't like his style. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I like Obama. I like Obama. I like his uh, policies. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm really worried about the guy and what he thinks of uh, that office and how he's, you know, intending to run the show. So I think he's... Uh, I would say yeah, there's no way to tell from the way he campaigns. There's no way to well, tell. Well, how else are we supposed to tell? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. In office. That's the only way we can tell. Yeah, so, we should, so we should give everybody a, a shot? Give everybody four no, years? I'm just saying we can't. You can't. Say I'm not going to vote for him, or well, certainly like there are some. There are some telltale signs. There are some. There are some a ways. President. Yeah, or there'll be a good president. So one of them is the way that he thinks that his public wants to be addressed. If he thinks that we're his sheep, or that we're his congregation, well, and that he should speak to us, and that he should speak to us in the superlative and these waving arms and these tones and sort of with a reverent kind of posture, then if he's doing that now in his campaign, I imagine he would do that with Congress, and I imagine he would do that in his State of the Union address, and I'm not a member of his fucking congregation. He's my president. He's my employee. So he's to report on the state of the state and then tell me what he intends to fucking do about it. And that's it. Talk to me respect. What if with all of his bluster and blunder, he's... He's trying to push for all the right things. Well, Wouldn't the, you rather have that? Yes, absolutely. So I'm just saying there's no way to tell what kind of president he'll be. He might, you know, give you annoying speeches, but he won't have that high squealing voice. By the way, <laughs> by the way, have you noticed that he has that sort of style? Or no, that didn't, that doesn't Yeah, matter. I mean, that's all the guy's doing. He's like becoming a rock star, you know. He, he figures I'll be elected by being a rock star and everyone's, just lining right up to well, enjoy that. Okay, well, then that's okay. I mean, that's what Clinton did. So, um, you know, listen, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I go to bed every night and pray to the gods in the sky that either Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton become president. Right, but that's not what you uh, concentrate on on your show. Yeah, because he's really pissing me off lately. I really <laughs> he's annoying the shit out of me. I mean, doesn't that annoy you? Isn't well, I'm saying it doesn't annoy me because... Yeah, because, because... Yeah. Well, you're like Bush. I mean, you're like this... Yeah, I am not like Bush. Yeah, you're like... It's like saying, you know, um, you know, don't complain about it. Don't, don't, um, don't say anything to rock the boat. Uh, uh, you're just fucking up the soldiers' morale by complaining about the war. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's going to make I'm them feel saying, bad. So it's like you're saying... Well, what, if, what you want to have happen is either Barack 
or Hillary to get in. No, no, I'll tell you what I want to have happen. I want to be an ethical, moral person, so I don't want to speak as if every word out of my mouth has got to be some bullshit for the team. I want to be able to complain about things I don't like, even if it's for people I do like. That's the Republican attitude. Hey, don't don't say anything negative about our candidate. I'm not saying don't say anything negative, but you seem to be, uh, you know, a little too too uh, into your, this particular criticism and not really focusing on uh, you know what you really want to have happen. All right, all right. Well, point well taken. Point well taken. I will I will balance that out. So all right, then, thanks uh, a million, Paul. I have a. I have a Go ahead. Uh, do you know David Bowie lyrics? Uh, of course. Do you really? Yeah, of course. Because if you could do the entire Young Americans, I will give you a $5 <laughs> donation. Uh, uh, really? Yep. Um, he, pulled <laughs> he pulled in just behind. Uh, oh, shit. Um, well, a fridge or a fridge? Well, let me think. You know, it's been a while. So it's a great song. It's, I believe, from the Diamond Dogs album. Right? Yeah, it's from the greatest hits, I think. Yeah, no, nothing's from greatest hits. <laughs> um, yeah, they pulled in behind, just behind the bridge. He lays it down. He frowns. Um, gee, my life's a funny thing. Am I still too young? Um, yeah, I mean, the way you play it along and try to get the lyrics right. What's that? You can even sing along with it. I bet you can't get the lyrics right. Well, let me think. He pulled in just behind the bridge. He lays it down. He frowns. Gee, my life's a funny thing. Am I still too young? He kissed her then and there. Uh, she took his ring, took his babies. It took him minutes, took her nowhere. Heaven knows she'd have taken anything. But all night she was a young American. Young American, young American. She wants the young American. Um, all night she wants the young American. And then scanning life through the picture window, she finds the slinky vagabond. Uh, he coughs and he passes her Ford Mustang, but heaven forbid she'd taken anything. But the freak and his type, all for nothing. He misses a step and cuts his hand, but showing nothing. He swoops like a song. She cries, we're of all Papa's heroes gone. Uh, all night, blibbity blibbity, all the way from Washington. Her breadwinner begs off the bathroom floor. Ugh, we live for just these 20 years. Do we have to die for the 50 more? All night, all night. And then do you remember your President Nixon? Do you remember the bills you have to pay or even yesterday? Uh, have you been uh, the un-American? Just you and your idols sing falsetto about leather, leather, leather everywhere. <laughs> No, yeah. that's not it. Yeah, not all you. Very close. And uh, not a myth left from the ghetto. Well, well, well. Would you carry a razor in case, just in case of depression? Sit on your hands on a bus of survivors, uh, blushing at all the Afro sheeners. Ain't yeah. that ain't that close to love? Well, ain't that close to love or poster love? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, it ain't that. Barbie doll, her hearts uh, have just been broken, just like you have all night. How was that? That was uh, very pretty, damn good. Pretty damn close, right? You uh, only missed the fact that he goes from she wants the young American to he wants the young American. Oh. But. And then there's the scatting at the end. For that one. 
There's a scatting part at the end. Right. Oh, you ain't a name. pimp and you ain't a hustler. Pimp's got a carrier. Lady's got a Chrysler. Uh, something's got respect. White's got a soul train. Mama's got pants. And uh, look at your hands ache. I heard the news today, oh boy. I got a sweet and you got defeat. Right? Is that right? I don't know that one. Uh, yeah, that's all like the scatting at the end. Well, keep going because it gets good. Uh, I heard the news. Uh, uh, ain't there a man who can say no more? And ain't there a woman I could sock on the jaw? And ain't there a child I can hold without judging? And ain't there a pen that will write uh, before they die? Uh, ain't you proud that you still got faces? Ain't there one damn song that can make me break down and cry? All right. All so night. you got a donate button on your website? Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, you got five bucks, Hey, excellent. Thanks for right. calling in, Poe. Go Kucinich. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Later. Yeah, man, that's all you got to do is uh, tell everybody who your guy is every chance you get. As Poe um, calling in. Yeah, he's absolutely right. I do sort of have a tendency to... Um, uh, focus on a complaint that I have about somebody without balancing it out. So for just for balance, let me make it perfectly clear. Hillary's a total cunt. Okay. Uh, I may have made a mistake last week in the words that I choose, he said. Obama spoke to uh, at the annual uh, press meeting today. Uh, the Arizona um, guy, uh, what's his name, McCain, um, said that... Um, uh, the, that the media should start printing uh, their corrections on the front page. He also displayed his pension for occasionally differing with the Bush administration, administration, excuse me, saying that he believes the country has already entered a recession. Whoa, that's going out on quite a limb. In his speech, in a more relaxed question and answer session meant to approximate the setting on his Straight Talk Express campaign bus, McCain repeatedly declined to label Obama an elitist for his comments that have roiled the race for the White House in recent days. I think those comments are elitist, he said. I don't think anyone who disparages anyone who's hardworking and dedicated people who cherish the right to hunt and observe their values and the culture and say that's because they're unhappy with their economic conditions, I think that's a fundamental contradiction to what I think America is. Of course, he's referring to these comments that uh, Barack Obama made at a... Um, at a luncheon, a private luncheon that somebody tape recorded, um, you know, where he said that, uh, you know, the Amer Americans are fucking, uh, you know, roiling in their own shit and staying home, clinging to their weapons and their TV sets and their antipathy for, uh, you know, for social change. Um, so, of course, everyone's jumping down his throat saying he's an un-American scumbag, but, uh, you know... Uh, there's nothing more American, of course, than complaining about Americans. So, and it's, I think what he said is absolutely true. Anyway, a message scrawled in a university bathroom, be prepared to die on 414, left not just the college's campus empty today, but also those of two adjoining high schools and a pair of nearby elementary schools. After the precautions were taken at St. Xavier's University in Chicago's southern, uh, southwest side, Malcolm X College evacuated students and canceled daytime classes today after a similar threat was found in a bathroom at the campus west of downtown. 
and Michigan's Oakland University was closed today because of threatening graffiti mentioning today. Uh, today's date. The closure is two days before the anniversary of the Virginia Tech killings, two months after the deadly rampage at Northern Illinois University illustrate the challenge such threats pose to school administrators who have to decide just how seriously to take them. I can see why they're doing it for the safety of the kids, but I see it as over the top, said Lynn Ruggiero, whose daughter is a freshman at one of the high schools that shares a campus with Xavier and was closed today. Ruggiero said the figures, um, whoever wrote the threat is getting a certain satisfaction from putting thousands of Chicago students out of class. Uh, Wrong-minded thinking, uh, Lynn, it doesn't matter what they're thinking. What matters is whether the children are safe. So if you're going to just be bullheaded about it and, you know, and, th- and think, oh, well, we can't have the bad guys thinking they won because they're getting tremendous satisfaction. What the fuck is it with people who worry about other people getting satisfaction? What's it to you if he gets satisfaction? I got news for people. The guy, however bad and however mean and undeserving they are, they're going to get all the fucking satisfaction they want. They're going to eat chocolate cake. They're going to jerk off. They're going to fuck whores. They're going to get everything they want. You can't stop other people from having satisfaction. So rather than concentrating on that, why don't we worry about whether the children are safe, you fucking moron. St. Xavier and Malcolm X are located about 15 miles apart despite the fact that the threats had similar wording, there was no indication they were related. Chicago police spokeswoman Monique Bond said, The graffiti at St. Xavier was widely publicized over the weekend and also contained in updates the college placed in its website. While St. Xavier decided on Friday to close until further notice, classes at Malcolm X resumed late today afternoon after bomb-sniffing dogs swept the uh, uh, campus. Oakland University, an 18,000-student state school about 20 miles north of Detroit, planned to resume classes tomorrow. The graffiti that prompted its shutdown also made a reference to 414, but didn't specifically uh, uh, specify any kind of uh, attack. So it just said, remember 414 or something like that. School administration's decisions about handling threats can be made easier by having a plan in place should a crisis arise, said Larry Consavalos, Senior Vice President at IXP. That's it. They just get three shots at their name. If it's not in there, fuck them. Knowing how they'll deal with the chain of command, first responders, communication, alarm systems is vital, Consalvo said, and shows administrators to decide uh, when to monitor a situation and when to shut down a campus. I don't think you can be cavalier about the seriousness of any threat, he said. And, you know, that's true. And that's just another reason why, you know, we need to get rid of public schools. Public schools are um, unconstitutional. To force children to go to fucking school is obscene. I don't even know what, you know, we went from like uh, this sort of um, entitlement philosophy that every child deserves an education to this kind of um, penitentiary uh, attitude where every child better be in fucking school or else. I'm not sure, man, you know, what's up with that. And it all it does is centralize, uh, you know, targets for lunatics like this of children were strewn around the country being educated in uh, homeschool groups and uh, um, going to work with their parents and um, you know being educated at private schools there'd be no central focus for these wackos 
uh, and it would fix all the other fucking problems with education. Yes, yeah, some Democrats in Pennsylvania Rust Belt communities were upset by Barack Obama's suggestion that voters there cling to guns or religion because of bitterness about their economic lot, but many more seem to think it was no big deal. And if there's a problem, it's with the political slap fest that's followed. Obama's comment, which the Illinois senator made during a San Francisco fundraiser last week, set off an exchange of insults. By the way, you know how I am. I listen to these um, uh, you know, ultra-right-wing uh, people all day. You know, My friends just don't understand why I'm driven to do it. Um, I'm obsessed with listening to uh, preachers and evangelists and uh, Rush Limbaugh. You know, I just feel like if you know if somebody from our side is not listening to what they're saying, we can't understand the way you know that these people get their ideas from these morons, and they you know go around and parrot them. So if you're familiar with what their arguments are, then you could articulate, you know, perhaps your position uh, on that same argument. And I was listening to Rush Limbaugh today talk about Obama's comments, and he was fucking ripping him a new asshole, as if, you know, Rush Limbaugh has any, you know, respect for the great unwashed, which he kept referring to them. Uh, he said, you know, the liberals all think that all the people are the great unwashed. I mean, this is just the stupidest fucking thing I ever heard. It's the liberals that think of the working guy as, you know, the hero. It's the opposite of you know what the of what the um, conservatives think, but he was going on and on about how um, uh, you know these elitist San Francisco types. He must have said that phrase like twenty fucking times. I wanted to put my fucking fist through the radio. The elitist San Francisco types. You know, you could just imagine this fucking smarmy puss on this filthy drug addict's face. Um, you know, implying that they were all like homos and fruits and weirdos and idiots. Uh, Obama's, meanwhile, um, <laughs> the people themselves, um, you know, really didn't take it that bad. Obama's comment, which the Illinois senator made during the San Francisco fundraiser, set off an exchange of insults between the final contenders for the Democratic presidential nomination as they vie for blue-collar support in the state's April 22 primary. Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton has criticized the comment as elitist, while Obama has mocked uh, the New York senator's own recent emphasis on support for gun owners' rights. In interviews today in Pennsylvania, communities like the ones to which Obama referred, Democrats on both sides of the race were divided over the controversy. It's so difficult to watch every word, said Mary Ellen Matunis, a Clinton backer from Shenandoah. I was not offended, she said. Poor choice of words, but I think he just uh, it was just misspoken. Uh, Matunas, who's 56, is a retired teacher in this central Pennsylvania borough of barely 5,000 residents that was once a boomtown of the anthracite coal industry. But that industry has been on the decline for more than most residents have been alive. And the textile factories that followed, uh, they're gone too. Dennis Yezulinas, another Clinton supporter in Shenandoah, said um, he's more offended by the rhetorical fight that followed Obama's comment than the remark itself, not just for the good of the Democratic Party, but for the good of the country. They need to make it less contentious, said Yezulinas, a former state prison guard who was laid off from a plant that manufactures doors in the next town over. In the southeastern Pennsylvania community of Coatesville, a once-booming steel city, 
outside of Philadelphia that uh, now has empty storefronts downtown. Two Clinton supporters sharing a meal at a Coatesville restaurant said they felt Obama was wrong to stereotype small-town voters. It's like we're not smart enough to understand what the politicians are saying. It's an insult to our intelligence, said Susan Kamerds, uh, who's 50. Mike Zemecki, 57, said that while Coatesville has seen better days, he's not bitter. He said he used to work at a pre- as a press operator before a disability led him to his retirement. I'm just frustrated, he said. I used to live a lot better than this. Uh, at another Coatesville eatery, lifelong resident Armin Richardson said he remains firmly committed to Obama. We're getting into the silly season, said Richardson, 33, a computer analyst. It's being overanalyzed. So a lot of um, you know talk about uh, the talk, um, but uh, you know it just seems to come down to uh, if you're if you if he's not your guy, you're more willing to say you know it was a stupid comment, and if he's your guy, then you're more willing to you know let it uh, uh, you know go. Not that big a deal. So um, honestly, Obama's not my guy, not because I don't agree with all his policy. Um, but because I don't agree with some of his policy, and I don't believe that he's the guy. I really worry that uh, he's, you know, kind of reminds me of David Dinkins, you know, sort of a very uh, froofy, um, you know, uh, liberal, um, left-wing New York uh, type, uh, but, um, you know, just didn't really understand what was going on, um, you know, in the street. He went to a lot of fucking tennis matches, And uh, he was an elitist mayor. Cellulose dating back 253 million years, along with some possible ancient DNA, has been found in salt crystals from an underground nuclear waste dump in southern New Mexico. How fucking cool is that? We did see some ancient DNA in the salt, but not a lot. And we have to continue experiments to try to verify that it is ancient DNA, said Jack D. Griffith, a professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. The cellulose, the same microscopic stuff that's in wood and cotton, uh, was in water locked in tiny cubes of clear and reddish-brown salt crystals at the federal government's waste isolation pilot uh, plant near uh, Carlsbad, New Mexico. The crystals were taken from newly mined areas 2,000 feet below Whip's Desert surface last fall, and a couple of years ago, Griffith said, we found one in a wall that was a couple of feet across, almost looking like... Uh, a huge frozen block of ice. The others were found in a crystal that's smaller and finer and in jumbles with sulfur or clay deposits, he said. The research by Griffith and four co-authors was published uh, in this month's issue of the journal Astrobiology. Griffith said he thinks looking for cellulose in salt deposits is a good way to go searching for life on other planets because cellulose is tough. He and his colleagues used a tiny drill about the width of a cat's whisker to bore into the water-bearing cubes to retrieve drops of water as large as one from a regular eyedropper. These inclusions contained saturated salt water uh, that's basically a time capsule that's a quarter of a billion years old. They drill into these tiny fucking, you know, grains of salt, and inside is a drop of water that's a fucking quarter of a billion years old. How fucking amazing is that? Evaporation cycles from a Permian Sea created a 2,000-foot-thick bed of salt. The water drops were placed in a centrifuge, and the remaining pellets were 
examine with an electron microscope, we were thinking we might see bacteria or bacteria viruses or DNA, Griffith said. But there were all these mats of this fibrous stuff. And further tests and research found it to be cellulose, he said. The cellulose looks like a web of tangled angel hair pasta. The fibers are about twice the diameter of a DNA molecule. The discovery of the cellulose, possibly remnants of a filamentous algae, is significant and exciting, said Carl Nicholas, a professor at Cornell University's Department of Plant Biology. The cell walls were, prever- were preserved. So they have native cellulose. The ancient cellulose was not fossilized, which is a process in which biological material is replaced by minerals, uh, you know, turning it into a rock. This is really still cellulose, a quarter of a billion years later. It's a fairly simple structure. It's probably a fairly simple step for the earliest life forms from a couple of billion years ago to start stringing these things together one after the other. And uh, bacterial colonies could use it to synthesize mats. They could coat themselves with it for protection, he said. Not only is it extremely stable, but it's also by far the single most abundant molecule on the planet. Plants, algae, and bacteria generate about 100 gigatons of cellulose a year, he said. We're kind of living in a soup of this stuff. Griffith and his students were talking about uh, going into older salt beds, some as old as 400 million years old, uh, um, uh, under uh, Detroit to look for cellulose. Uh, the joke has been uh, going around. He said that this is the first time students want to be sent to the salt mines <laughs> see? because they're, they're finding it's salt, you see, and they're, hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this Monday, April the 14th, the year of our Lord, uh, 2008. And if you can have some kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, lyric uh, challenge uh, like uh, S. Poe did with any kind of lyrics. I may not be, you know, I may not be 101 percent, but I'll be pretty close to 99 percent, I think. So if you think uh, you want to challenge the gesture, 646-502-8600. The Eastern world, it's exploding, violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war. But what's that gun you're toting? Leave it where it is. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating. But you tell me over and over. Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy. And you tell me.
blood so mad Feels like coagulating I'm sitting here just contemplating I can't twist the truth It knows no regulation Handful of senators don't pass legislation And marches alone can't bring integration When human respect is disintegrating This whole crazy world is just too frustrating And you tell me over and over and over again My friend, I don't believe We're on the eve of destruction Of all the hate there is in Red China, then take a look around to Selma, Alabama. Uh, you may leave here for four days in space, but when you return, it's the same old place. The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace. You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace. Hate your next door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace and tell me.
nation What about the things that deserve commendation Where there once was no cure There's vaccination Where there once was a desert There's vegetation Self-governments replacing colonization What about the Peace Corps organization Don't forget the work of the Here's the other side of that coin, the Donna Correction, from the Spokesman, the answer song to Barry Maguire's Eve of Destruction earlier that same year, 1965. The Spokesman were, um, they had one other um, top 40 hit with uh, Michelle, the Beatles tune, in, uh, the, in 1966. And that guy singing was uh, David White, the, um, the, the at-the-hop guy, Danny and the Juniors. That's the same guy. And it's not um, a right-wing response like the, like the answer song to um, uh, the Green Berets that uh, Kenny Rogers did. Um, it's an actual, you know, m- more liberal um, sort of perspective, uh, you know, saying, uh, you know, you, you say that the marches don't bring integration, but look what it's done for voter registration. Uh, be thankful our country allows demonstrations instead of uh, condemning, make some recommendations. I don't understand the cause of your aggravation. Uh, you mean to tell me, boy, it's not a better situation. So it's true. It was a better country. Um, things were going you know, badly in 66, but there was a lot of uh, good going on. Um, and that's what he says. You missed all the good in your evaluation. What about the things that deserve commendation? Why there once was no cure, now there's vaccination. Where there once was desert, there's vegetation. I think he was referring to Israel there. Self-governments replacing colonization. What about the Peace Corps organization? Don't forget the work of the United Nations. So it's not like he's pointing out you know, hey, uh, what about all the good things about the the NRA <laughs> shit? So it's a, like it's a liberal, more liberal response. Hey, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. It's Monday, April the 14th. J.K. Rowling testified before a packed courtroom in a lawsuit to block publication of a Harry Potter lexicon, telling a judge that the book amounts to a wholesale theft of nearly 20 years of her hard work. We all know I've made enough money. That's absolutely not why I'm here, uh, she told the U.S. District Court. Um, when people create characters in this country, they own the rights to not only the actual words that make up the story, but the character themselves in the world they live in. So you can't go out now and write a Harry Potter book because she owns the trademark to Harry Potter. The British author sued Michigan-based RDR Books last year to stop publication of Stephen Vander Ark's Harry Potter lexicon, claiming copyright infringement. Vander Ark runs the popular Harry Potter lexicon website, and RDR wants to publish a print version of that site and charge 25 bucks. 
Rawlings claims the book is nothing more than a rearrangement of her own material and told the judge it copied so much of her work that it amounted to plagiarism. I think it's atrocious. I think it's sloppy. I think there's very little research, she testified today. The book constitutes wholesale theft of 17 years of my hard work. She also said that she's recently started work on her own encyclopedia. Hmm. Funny. I guess that has nothing to do with it. She said the money's not the issue, but does not expect to complete it for two to three years because she wants to do it right. RDR's lawyer, Anthony Falzone, has defended the lexicon as a reference guide, calling it a legitimate effort to organize and discuss the complicated and very elaborate world of Harry Potter. The small <laughs> I shit you not. The small publisher is not contesting that the lexicon infringes upon Rowling's copyright but argues that it's fair use allowed for by law. For reference books, you're allowed to write books about other people's books and refer to them in those books. It's called the fair use doctrine. The non-jury trial will be decided by U.S. District Judge Robert Patterson, Jr., who must determine whether the use of the material is illegal because Vander Ark added his own interpretation, creative uh, creativity, and analysis. The testimony and arguments could last most of this week, Rowling will spend her breaks in the seclusion of a jury room away from the fans of her wildly popular series. The trial comes eight months after Rowling published her seventh and final book in the series. Uh, The books have been published in 64 languages, sold more than 400 million copies, and produced a film franchise that has pulled in $4.5 billion at the worldwide box office. So... Apparently, uh, the story was that she got um, all choked up uh, when she was testifying, uh, you know, blubbering, you know, I didn't want to cry. And, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, these characters mean so much to me. Uh, How do you feel about your children? These books saved me. So it's an emotional thing to her. When, in fact, copyright law is not meant to protect people's, um, you know, excerpts of people's work. It's meant to protect the entire body of work. So if anybody reads the copyright law, um, it means that when you create a work, you have the exclusive right to make copies of it. Nobody else does uh, because you're the creator of that work. And it lasts, you know, this copyright lasts for a certain period of time. You don't have to register it. You don't have to file for it. You get it automatically. Of course, you should file it. Um, There's a copyright registration office where you file a copy of your work so that later, if the issue comes up, you can prove that you created it beforehand. But you can't file somebody else's work. So if I were to just make a copy of, um, you know, Moby Dick and file that, they'll be happy to take my fee, of course, and file it. But when the day comes to go to court, even though Moby Dick was never filed with the copyright office, it's known to have been published earlier. So I would lose my rights. So copyright is uh, more the, more the, uh, um, about um, making a copy of an entire work than excerpting work, um, obviously. Otherwise, there would be no way for us to be able to Xerox magazine articles for a friend or you know, make mixtapes of the music that we listen to uh, because excerpting um, is legal. U.S. military said today it will release the AP photo- photographer Bilal Hussein more than two years after he was detained by U.S. Marines on suspicion of links to insurgents. The military said it is determined Hussein is not a threat and plans to free him on Wednesday. 
So they've kept him for two years. They've determined he's not a threat, and he's still got to be in jail for two more fucking days. In the past week, and it took two years to figure it out. In the past week, Iraqi judicial committees dismissed all allegations against Hussein and ordered his release. The last allegations were dropped on Sunday, a day after Hussein marked his second full year in custody. The Associated Press and Hussein, who's now 36, have denied any improper contacts, said he was only doing his job as a journalist working in a war zone. AP President Tom Curley expressed relief. In time, we will celebrate Bilal's release. For now, we want him safe and united with his family. While we may never see eye-to-eye with the U.S. military over this case, it's time for all of us to move on, said Curley. A statement by multinational forces Iraq said Major General Douglas M. Stone, commander of coalition detention facilities in Iraq, signed the release order after confirming the Iraqi committee's decision to grant Hussein amnesty, a ruling that drops legal proceedings but does not assume or determine guilt or innocence, Hussein, who's been held since April 12, 2006, was never brought to trial. After the action by the Iraqi Judicial Committees, we've reviewed the circumstances of Hussein's attention and determined that he no longer presents an imperative threat to security, as if he ever did. I think no longer seems to imply that he once was. So it's their way of vindicating, you know, keeping this guy on ice for two years, uh, you know, the founding fathers of the United States actually built this country for that exact reason, um, so that the state didn't have the right to indefinitely detain somebody without swiftly charging and trying him on those charges to determine his guilt or innocence. We're not allowed to put people in jail for years and say, we'll get to you when I want to get to you. That's not American. Uh, The hormone that drives male aggression and sexual interest also seems to boost short-term success at finance, but what seems to start out well can turn bad with elevated testosterone levels over several days, possibly leading to irrational risk-taking, according to researchers at the University of Cambridge in England. If people want to get practical, it would be good for both banks and the financial system as a whole if we had more women and older men in the market, said John M. Coates, Lead author of a study appearing in this week's issue of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such a change would produce a much more stable financial system, said Coates, a fellow uh, research fellow at the University Department of Psychology, Development, and Neuroscience. Coates said Joe Hubert, uh, Herbert rather studied male financial traders in London taking saliva samples in the morning and the evening. They found that levels of two hormones, testosterone and cortisol, affected traders. Those with higher levels of testosterone in the morning were more likely to make an unusually big profit that day. Testosterone, best known as the male sex hormone, affects aggression, confidence, and risk-taking. Cortisol is tied to uncertainty, novelty, and unpredictability, which pretty much describes a trader's life, Coates said in a telephone interview. Coates and Herbert's study comes less than two weeks after U.S. researchers reported that young men shown erotic pictures were more likely to make a larger financial gamble than if they were shown a picture of something scary like a snake or something neutral like a stapler. Money and women trigger the same brain area in men, researchers said. Duh. Isn't this... (laughs) Did we need a study for this? One member of the team, Camilla Kunin, an associate uh, professor of the Kellogg School of France at Northwestern University, 
said Coates and Herbert's findings are very interesting, and they help support the claim that emotion influences financial decisions. But she cautioned that the findings don't prove a causal link between testosterone and profitability. Coonan, who is not part of the Coates and Herbert's team, termed the uh, idea that uh, long-term high testosterone levels can lead to irrational risk-taking and interesting hypothesis. I don't think there's fucking any doubt about it. You know, when you wake up in the morning with a fucking, you know, with a, a rock-hard, you know, dick, uh, if you can't get laid, then, you know, you go out and, you know, fucking kick some ass. It's the same exact thing. Getting laid and kicking ass, it's the same exact thing. It goes to the same part of your brain. And let me tell you, how many times I went out and did both in my youth. And then, after the turn of the century, in the clear blue skies over Germany, came a roar and a thunder man had never heard, like the screaming sound of a big warbird. It's the Royal Guardsman on JR, don't touch it. After the turn of the century, in the clear blue skies over Germany, The screaming sound of a big warbird Up in the sky, a man in a plane Baron von Richthofen was his name Eighty men tried, and eighty men died Now they're buried together on the countryside Ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty or more The bloody red baron was rolling up the score Looking dog with a big black nose He flew into the sky to seek revenge But the Baron shot him down Yes, he's wild again 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more The bloody red Baron was rolling up the score 80 men died trying to end that spree Of the bloody red Baron of Germany Now Snoopy had swore that he'd get that man So he asked the great pumpkin for a new battle plan He challenged the German to a real dog fight While the Baron was laughing, it got him in his sight Fired once and it fired twice And that bloody red bird went spinning out of sight 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more The bloody red bird was rolling up the score 80 men died trying to end that spree Of the bloody red bird of Germany Say goodbye to all my sorrow and 
Started that set with Snoopy versus the Red Baron. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, and I am your humble host, the Jester. This Monday, April the 14th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Tony Braxton won't return to the stage on the Las Vegas Strip until at least next month. The Flamingo Las Vegas says Braxton's show will remain dark this week, while the 40-year-old Grammar winner has more medical tests. Following her April 7th hospitalization for chest pain, she was released the following day, but last week's shows were canceled. Flamingo President Don Maradino said that her Tuesday through Saturday shows were also off, and Braxton will take advantage of a previously scheduled two-week break. She's due to resume her show at the Flamingo Showroom on May 6th, and they're offering refunds for the canceled shows. The exact cause of her chest pain hasn't been made public, Uh, so... She was treated in the past for pericarditis, a viral inflammation of the heart. So hopefully she'll uh, feel better soon. She's a six-time Grammy winner for songs including Unbreak My Heart. And her uh, Vegas act, Tony Braxton Revealed, is in the midst of a two-year run at the uh, Flamingo Hotel. Tony Braxton Revealed. And let me tell you, (laughs) she's, she's pretty skimpy. Costume she wears. A 13-year-old boy is claiming the world record for blowing up balloons with his nose using one nostril at a time. (laughs) Andrew Dahl inflated 213 balloons within an hour uh, on Friday in the town of Blaine Washington's public library. Uh, His feat has been submitted for review by Guinness World Records. (laughs) 
I'm just, I'm, I tell you, I feel lightheaded just thinking about it. His father, Doug Dahl, measured the balloons to make sure each was at least 20 centimeters uh, or about eight inches, the minimum diameter. And his mother, Wendy Dahl, kept the tally. At one point, he asked, does this count as practicing my trumpet? And his mother said, only if you can play that with your nose. It was his second try. In February, he sent a videotape of himself inflating 184 balloons, only to learn that it didn't count because uh, he handed them to his father to tie. And this time, he has to tie them off himself. (laughs) He didn't realize that competitive nose balloon blowing had all these rules. A retired shipping consultant said that he lost an expensive 17th century violin after forgetting it on a train. Rob Napier said he didn't realize the instrument made by master Venetian craftsman Matteo uh, Gaffriller in 1698 was still on the train's luggage rack until it began pulling out of the station. I think you can imagine the awful kind of pit-in-your-stomach feeling Napier, 67, told Jester Radio in a telephone interview today. My first instinct was, can I jump on top of the train? (laughs) But that was obviously stupid. Napier said he was on his way home to Bedwin near London, some 75, 70 miles west of London, or 115 kilometers, if you will, on January 29th after retrieving the violin from an expert who had valued it at about 390 grand. Napier called the train company, but by the time the train reached its final destination, it was gone. Napier said the violin belonged to his mother, who died a couple of years ago, a professional violinist. She brought the Gaffriller from a dealer in 1945. She said later she wanted a fine instrument to match the quality of those played by her colleagues in the well-known Ebsworth String Quartet, an all-female group. A reward of 10,000 pounds was being offered for the instrument's recovery, um, which seems funny if it's worth 400 grand. Um, The British Transport Police confirmed it was investigating the theft of a very high-value uh, violin. You know, um, it's well known that England is covered almost from sternum to yachts with video cameras. So you would think that they have a fucking, you know, uh, a videotape of somebody carrying a violin out of the train that day. A cigarette store cashier has snuffed out a robbery. Police said a masked man flashed a knife at a cigarette outlet in Des Moines, Iowa on Friday, forced one employee to the floor, then demanded money from another. Uh, Her name was Ruth Wright. But instead of cash, uh, she threw two cans of chewing tobacco. And and one of them hit him in the face. Officers uh, said a customer then tackled the guy, but the robber broke free, bolted out the door. The cashier, uh, Kitty Peacock, said the store has been robbed at least one time before. So this is what happens when it becomes, you know, chronic. People just get fed up. You know, the first time, you know, guy lights his shoe uh in the you know on an airplane you know people just sort of st- you know stand back and like oh you think we should do something but the next fucking time it happens they stomp his head into the ground and ask questions later so that's the way people are you know fuck me once shame on you fuck me twice shame on me Rick Springfield on JR speak to the sky Speak to the sky cause things can get you down 
Ow, ow. Sweet child of mine, Guns N' Roses, Ray Charles before that. Hit the road, Jack Rick Springfield. Started that set, Speak to the Sky. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Chest Radio this Monday, April the 14th, still recovering from a large dose of psilocybin yesterday. Um, and um, it's sort of uh, brain spelunking to all those adventurers out there. It's a way to take a, a nice little vacation, as Lulu puts it, uh, without leaving town. And uh, tripping is not the same as getting high, of course. It's, um, you know, you have to uh, make sure the kids are in bed and the, the, the dog is fed and walked and everything is, you know, taken care of and the door is locked and everything's, uh, you know, very relaxed because where you go on that trip is all about where you are. And, um, you know, hallucinogenic drugs... Um, simply affect your brain and not the same way that euphoric drugs do, like alcohol or marijuana. They don't increase your um, that chemical in your brain that makes you feel pleasure. What they do is they open um, synapses, normally filters that your brain normally filters out information from you. Instead, it magnifies that information. So if you're calm and you're relaxed and you're prepared, then um, you get a nice introspective uh, trip, thinking and talking and you know listening to music and everything takes on a, um, a heightened um, context. So it's good you know for doing once in a while. Um, you know, obviously not for every day. So uh, that's where I was yesterday. I was on a journey inside my mind. And today, of course, I'm paying the price for it because it is kind of draining. You know, you wake up the next day, you feel like you've been, you know, climbing uh, the mountains. You know, your neck is a little stiff. Not sure what that's about. Um, people bring up conversations you may have had with them that you're not too clear about. So it takes a little, there's a little bit of a hangover there. Um, not Not like a headache and, you know, but um, there's a little, uh, there's a, what they used to call back in the day, the crash from the trip. After the trip was the crash. So much for the curse. The New York Yankees have ended a construction worker's attempt to jinx their new stadium with a buried Boston Red Sox jersey. Team officials watched yesterday as construction workers removed the jersey with slugger David Ortiz's name on it from two feet of concrete in a service corridor of the stadium that's under construction. Some fucking Boston fan went and threw a Boston Red Sox jersey into the construction site for the New York Yankees, the new New York Yankee Stadium. The team says a construction worker who's a Red Sox fan recently buried the jersey there while on the job. Two other supervisors found the tattered shirt on Saturday. The Yankees plan to donate the jersey to charity and may pursue a lawsuit against the construction worker. <laughs> the lawsuit for trying to, you know, fucking jinx them. A Central Kentucky planning board won't get Gail Warfield's goat, but the city commission might. Officials in Frankfurt, Kentucky are discussing whether goats are livestock or pets. The issue came up in October when Warfield received a violation notice about the goat and duck that she keeps as pets on her residential property. She said the letter informed her that Jokey the goat had to go. Then she received a second letter saying that he could stay while officials decide what exactly the fuck he is. Last month, the city's planning commission proposed an amendment 
that would have allowed up to two farm animals to live in the city on land of five acres or more. Under the current regulations, farm animals are only permitted on tracts of five acres or more that are zoned industrial, commercial, or agricultural. A public meeting of the proposed charges was scheduled last week, but the meeting was canceled and the amendment withdrawn. The members of the zoning committee said the proposed changes were unnecessary. The committee likes the ordinance as is, said City Planning Director Gary Mueller to me. A goat is a fucking farm animal. Mueller said the city commission would have to enact, uh, they wouldn't have to enact any changes. The consensus of the committee is to recommend this to the city commission instead of amending any ordinance, he said. Warfield said that she's distraught because the situation is still unresolved. I don't know what to do from one day to the next, she says. I'm at a loss for words on all this. She'll plead her case one last time to the city commission on April 28th. If Warfield is forced to get rid of Jokey, she said, she'll try and find him a good home that will love and care for him. And then eventually turn him into pork chops or whatever the fuck you turn a goat into. He's not a typical farm animal, animal Warfield said. I don't want him to be sold to a stockyard for slaughter. Do, you, do, do people, um, do people uh, eat goats Is go- or do they just like, you know, drink uh, goat milk and eat goat cheese and shit? Hey, have you seen the old man who walks the streets of London? Well, this will uh, tell you all about him. Ralph McTell on Jester Radio. Please don't fuck with that dial. Have you seen the old man in the closed-down market? of the papers with his worn-out shoes In his eyes you see no pride And none loosely at his side Yesterday's paper Telling yesterday's news So how can you tell me You're lonely said for you that the sun don't shine Oh, let me take you by the hand And lead you through the streets of London I'll show you something To make you change your mind And have you seen the old girl Who walks the streets of London Dirt in her hair And her clothes in rags She's no time for talking She just keeps right on walking Carrying her home Into carrier bags So how can you tell me you're lonely Safe for you that the sun don't shine well, Let me take you by the hand And lead you through the streets of London I'll show you something To make you change your mind In the old night cafe At a quarter past eleven Same old man 
sitting there on his own, looking at the world over the rim of his teacup. In each tea lesson on, and he wanders home alone. So how can you tell me that you're lonely? It's safe for you that the sun don't shine. Or let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. And have you seen the old man outside the Seaman's Mission? Memory fading with the metal ribbons that he wears, and in our winter city the rain cries. A little pity for one more forgotten hero and a world that doesn't care. So how can you tell me that you're lonely? They say for you that the sun don't shine. Or let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind.
mother at his feet Clutching baby daughter He thinks of yesterday How he wanted a new toy Hears his mother pass away And cries I am just a boy It was a killer flesh Black rain falling, run, we left the child there, oh, he's got Must be, and that is all. Yeah. 
love can make a blade of grass Stand up straight and tall In harmony with a cosmic sea True love needs no company It can cure the soul It can make it whole If dogs run free Jester himself on Jester Radio asking the eternal question if dogs run free. <laughs> and why do our kids have to go to school? The Jester himself uh, on Jester Radio before that, Hiroshima's Calling by the uh, late great S. Poe. Uh, uh, Ralph McTell started that set in Streets of London. Have you seen the old girl who walks the streets of London? Dirt in her hair and her clothes and rags. She's no time for talking. She just keeps right on walking, carrying her home in two carrier bags, two shopping bags. Brutal story, uh, real eye-opener uh, in 1966 when that song came out. How can you tell me that you're lonely and say for you that the sun don't shine? Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London, and I'll show you something to make you change your mind. The uh, Patrick Deep Dish Bertoletti looked down at the litter of empty oyster shells in front of him and savored the sweet taste of victory. For Crazy Legs Conti, the bitter taste of defeat could be washed away only by massive quantities of beer. The Acme World Oyster Eating Championship belt leather with a silver dish featuring an oyster on the half shell hung on Bertoletti's skinny hips. The 22-year-old Chicago resident took the title on Saturday by slurping 35 dozen of the large bivalves in eight minutes. 35 dozen. Do the math. I could probably do a couple dozen more, especially if they were charbroiled, <laughs> said Bertoletti, who holds the endurance oyster-eating record, having downed 53 and a half dozen in 2007 before calling it quits. Although they're great raw, he said. Conti, the defending champion, tied for third, sucking down only 24 dozen. They're supposed to be an aphrodisiac, said Conti, whose real name is Crazy Legs. But I think the only tr uh, that's the only true for the first three dozen. <laughs> when you get higher than that, you don't want much activity for a while. Juliet Lee, 30, 43, of uh, Germantown, uh, Maryland, formerly a Ninjing University chemistry professor, methodically polished off 31 and a half dozen for second place. A dozen professional eaters who compete in major league eating events year-round squared off at the French Quarter Festival on Saturday. Major League Eating describes itself as a sports franchise that oversees all professional competitive eating events and competitive eating television specials. It puts on the uh, annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, as well as other events like um, uh, World Deep Fried Asparagus Eating Championship and the National Sweet Corn Eating Championship. Man, I'm getting a fucking stomach ache just thinking about it. Rules for the Oyster Tournament forced contestants to use forks, not lift the shells to their mouths, and to finish all the oysters from a tray before starting a new one. Officials in striped shirts... <laughs> These are the rules. Officials in striped shirts stood beside each contestant and flipped a counter as each dozen was consumed. Many of the competitors wore gloves to handle the shells, all carried several bottles of water, cold drinks, or beer 
to help them keep their mouths and their throats lubricated. Lee carried a thermos of hot water but said she didn't feel the need for it. Oysters are pretty liquid, said Lee, who weighs 105 pounds despite being on the pro-eating tour for the past year. Uh, I didn't need it. <laughs> they got to be puking this shit up. 105 pounds. Tim Gravy Brown, ranked 13th in the world, was disqualified when uh, he had what professional eaters call a um, <clears throat> reversal of fortune. He vomited after only 14 dozen. Scott Scuzzy Bone Zalowski, uh, who's 20, a Tulane University student from New York's Long Island, was in the professional event. He ate 20 dozen. I feel good about that. My, my goal was 15 dozen. Zukowski said, I had only eaten one Roy Oyster in my life before this, and I thought I'd vomit after that. I hate him, he said. You know, I did a, um, when I got my first job, I was driving a truck. I moved out of my parents' house just a couple of weeks before I was 18. I couldn't even wait. And I got myself a, tr a, a job, and I got into a dispute with my employer and walked out um, and got a job at a restaurant. I walked in. And I said, are you looking you know, for somebody to work here? And the guy said, do you, you know anything about shucking clams? I'm thinking about oyster, opening an oyster clam bar. And I said, oh, my God, fucking lucky is it for you that I walked in off the street today. I'm the shucking clam guy. I'm the guy. When we have clam-aramas, meanwhile, I've never even eaten a clam. I'm Jewish. I've never even seen shell food in my life. So I quickly went home and, you know, started like asking, calling people and asking about what's the deal with, you know, eating raw clams. Uh, but the whole time I worked there at the uh, clam bar, um, I never once had a raw clam. I never even had one until like I was in my 30s. They were just so fucking revolting. And these fucking drunks, and we would sell them for like a dime a piece during happy hour. This is back in the 70s, you know. And dollar uh, twenty for a dozen guys would give me ten dollar bill, you know, for for a dozen. And then they'd grab their fucking you know dick and go, "Good for the pecker," because I, you know, because it looks like a pussy, so it's got to be good for the pecker. A jury acquitted a man of smuggling endangered iguanas in his hollowed-out prosthetic leg. Ouch! but convicted him of concealing and possessing the endangered species. The jury rejected charges on Thursday that uh, Jareem James stole Fiji Island banded iguanas while visiting the South Pacific in September of 2002. The neon green striped iguana is an endangered species, prosecutors said. However, James faces a maximum possible sentence of 20 years in prison when he's sentenced on July 14th. An email message to James's lawyer on Friday, was not immediately returned. During an undercover probe, James told investigators that he had sold three iguanas for $32,000. Four iguanas were seized when a search warrant was served at his house in April. He carried them in his leg, his hollowed-out leg. What if they were nipping at his stump while he was going through the security gate? What was that? No, no, nothing to worry about. Ow! An 85-year-old legally blind golfer from southern Arizona made a hole-in-one this week on a par-3 course. Robert Dunham accomplished the feat on the third hole of Tortuga in Green Valley, playing with a group of fellow blind guys enrolled in a Veterans Affairs Healthcare System program. Dunham's volunteer assistant lined him up with the ball and then handed him the 9-iron and stepped the fuck back. Dunham swung through, hit squarely, and landed softly on the green, taking one hop before nestling into the bottom of the cup. 
Dunham's group erupted into a cacophony of cheers and high fives. World War II vet's first reaction? I thought they were shitting me, Dunham said. I told them you guys better not be pulling my leg. The the retired Honeywell manager began losing his vision about 10 years ago, but he's been in the VA program for only three weeks. Can you fucking imagine a hole-in-one? Traffic was backed up. Police were called to control the crowd after a Wilmington gas station accidentally set the pump price at 35 cents a gallon. This is part of this human swarm mentality where we seem to lose our moral compass uh, in groups. The Wilmington Star News reported Friday that hundreds of drivers flooded a BP station for the cheap gas after the price dropped around 9 a.m. on Thursday. Station employee Shane Weller said the price for premium gasoline was supposed to be $3.35 a gallon. He complained that customers paid the cheaper price all day without saying a word. Uh, It was all the extra traffic that led station employees to the mistake. Around 6 p.m., they found it after calling their district manager looking for permission to change the price as a way of stemming the flow of customers. They didn't even know the price was at 35 cents. They just called up the boss and said, look, we got them lined up around the block and we crank up the price. They went outside and saw that it was set to 35 cents and all these filthy crooks somehow rationalized this idea of stealing because it was from the big oil company, I'm sure they thought, never realizing it's just this little fucking small town gas station owner that they ripped off. No less than going in and fucking holding up the place with a gun. The Spokane police, man, I hope they fucking track those fuckers down by their credit cards. The Spokane police and sheriff's departments operate a tip line to record information from callers about crimes. It gets about a dozen calls a day, but not all are tips. The sheriff's department said police call with questions, uh, people call with questions about boating regulations and what businesses are open on holidays. Other questions on the police tip line asked how to thaw a 12 pound turkey. Uh, how long to wait after a death to read the will? <laughs> and uh, who can I get to come over and pick up my clawfoot bathtub? Two Massachusetts men are accused. You know, just you know, people are just fucking stupid. I mean, I get it every day. You know, I deal with people. People are just fucking stupid. You know, you just have to take it in stride. Two Massachusetts men are accused of stealing a swimming pool from a Granby backyard in Connecticut. Timothy Moore, 37, and David Hawley, 18, both of Westfield, Connecticut, were charged on Friday with trespassing, uh, arsony, conspiracy, and possession of burglary tools. Granby police said they found parts from the disassembled above-ground pool in the rear seat of the men's car, about a mile away from the yard where the pool had been stolen. Police say the men told them that they took the pool for scrap metal and felt that they were doing the owners a favor by getting rid of it for them. Police (laughs) recovered from the car seven automobile batteries, coil of copper pipe, wire from a copper core, an aluminum pneumatic manifold with brass fittings, bolt cutters, metal shears, and a hammer. Apparently they had been out doing good deeds all day long. Hey, you've been listening to the ravings of a clown. This Monday, April the 14th, extra special thanks to all those that stopped by. Thanks to Espo for calling in. And remember, be impeccable with your word. It's your one and only one, and it's the one that everybody's uh, relying on. Don't take anything personally. It's not about you, even when you're in the room. Don't make assumptions, and always do your best. That's the most important thing. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That's my solemn oath to you. Until that time, Houston. 
Good night. See you tomorrow. It's the time of the season When we love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promise lands To show you Like me, as he take us any time, to show to show you what you need to live. Tell it to me slowly. Tell you why I really want to know. It's the time of the season for love.